0: My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids, and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will, and I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers.
1: Get your tinfoil hats. Oh man, Alex Newman's here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> welcome <laughs> it's to Cost on the Five That Beats Network. He's so, so much more famous. We first boy. had him
2: on. It's amazing. You <laughs> know,
1: it, it's it's been a. Uh, uh, I, I can't believe some of the places that Alex is is gone. And, and some of the people I like, keep inviting him back to do things. Man. I'm like, do you guys really know Alex? He keeps receipts though. Like yeah, he does. His, his I know. Yeah. That's what's security. so dangerous. <laughs> He's dangerous. <laughs> yeah.
3: Hey, just a reminder we want to make sure that you know that we're going to be at the Ark Encounter October 11th to the 14th yeah, boy. for the Fight, Laugh, Feast Conference 2023 talking about Message. the politics of six-day creation. God created the world in six days just like the Bible said and he did. Oh, very good. And that's the foundation of all human society, culture, federal reserve, every, globalism, every, everything. Who's reading this ad? Who's reading this ad? I was, I was reading this ad, definitely. Uh, anyways, um, definitely want to make sure that you know there are scholarships available. Um, if, um, if if, you would love to be there and... You got to
1: email us at contact at com. We,
3: we want you yeah. there. Um, and um, we've got Ken Ham who's going to give a talk, Pastor Doug Wilson, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Gordon Wilson, Michael Foster, Joe Rigney. The we got
1: pre-business a conference. Pre-business conference. David Bonson. I feel <laughs> God right there. Oh, man.
3: And then we're going to have the Christian Nationalism Live Show with yes. Joel Webin and Stephen Wolf and Pastor Doug Wilson where we are going to solve all of the christian nationalists everybody in the, and the audience problems. is going to
1: sign a covenant
0: christian right. nationalists <laughs> we're going to covenant <laughs> that's right there right there or oh, right
3: yeah, oh, they're going to be shot <laughs> <laughs> on the spot uh, coercion, we're going to we're going <laughs> to uh, force we're going to do it man yeah. so yeah. anyways make sure you all I'll come out for that and if, uh. if you would like some help getting there please Please reach out. Contact at CrossPolitik.com. As, as uh, Gabe mentioned, we're really grateful to have with us back our friend Alex Newman. Yeah. Uh, he was on the show when, when, like year, years, years it, it ago?
1: He comes out about once a year. Oh, is that, yeah. oh uh, it's not been that yeah. long? I thought yeah. it was... Uh, no, no, but,
3: it's been longer than that. I think it's been a little while. Yeah. Well, I would
1: like to think... It He's famous been. now. Uh,
3: anyways, it anyways, um, He's been hard to schedule. He was on CrossPolitik first. Yes. Before he was crazy, crazy famous he's the ceo of liberty sentinel an award-winning interna- international journalist educator guys he's like got a i don't know how many part series was that um education uh, like,
1: education like, series.
3: like 50 or 60 part series at epic news on on like the origins of government education like yeah, we, you got a day book
4: day. coming out then
3: and I, I, and I and i wrote you about it and you said you got a book coming out on that
4: yeah, so the book will be hopefully coming out within the next couple of months here. We're just doing the finishing touches, and it'll give the history of how we went from a, a godly nation to a nation where our children are being systematically indoctrinated against God, against the Bible, against the foundations of our country, against right. their families. It's uh, it's a crazy story, but it's true. No, reach,
3: reach I, I really, really appreciate the work that you did through, yeah, through yeah, that yeah. that series. Um, anyways, he's an educator, author, speaker, investor, consultant who seeks to glorify God in everything he does. And he is our very most favorite conspiracy theorist. Yes, mine, <laughs> easily, easily. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, no, actually, um, we want to start with um, we, uh, we want to talk to you about the Federal Reserve, mm. um, and and the reason is is I mean, be, I mean, basically, there's this thing that is like has a significant influence on our country. And I think um probably over the last few years, especially since COVID, I mean, a whole bunch of people like woke up suddenly and were like, wait a second, there's a whole bunch of people making decisions about my life that I didn't know about anything about. <laughs> Come on, now. I mean everything from like, you know, the the local sheriff um, to the health, you know, whatever ordinance people, and you're like, who got on that health board and who appointed them? Some and, bureaucrat you never heard yeah. of, like Fauci. And then and then and then you got this Federal Reserve thing that seems to be playing more and more role in American life. So can you tell well, us, Alex, um, what even is the Federal Reserve? Like just start take us back to school. Like, like, you know, Federal Reserve for dummies. Like, is like we don't <laughs> we don't know. What is the Federal Reserve? Where did it come from? And is it good?
4: It, how can <laughs> I get on the board? <laughs> Excellent questions. Thank you, gentlemen. And it's it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you again. Yeah. I sure appreciate it. I, I loved coming into y'all's studio and I so appreciate all that you guys are doing. Uh, It's just extraordinary work. Now, uh, to answer your your questions on the Federal Reserve as quickly and simply as possible, no, it is not good. (laughs) This this thing is basically a leech, a parasite that is sucking the lifeblood out of our country. In terms of our economic vitality, our prosperity, uh they are literally looting the country. And I'll get into the specifics of how they do that as we go. Yeah. But uh, what is the Federal Reserve? Well, I you know they like to masquerade as a federal agency. They're not a federal agency in the traditional sense of the term. They were created through an act of Congress back in 1913 and The president of the United States plays some relatively minor role in appointing some of the leaders uh, on the, at least at the at the national level, on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. But these are they come to him on a list. Here's the people that we consider acceptable. Pick one of them, and and so on. At the at the regional level, they've got 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. The officers, the directors of these regional Federal Reserve uh, boards are actually selected by the member banks, by the shareholders in the Federal Reserve. You're thinking shareholders. In a federal agency, again, it's not a federal agency. Okay, I think the best way to understand it is it is a banking cartel given a monopoly over the creation of U.S. dollars, over the American currency, and over the issuance of base money credit. Uh, and what I mean by that is nobody else has the authority to create dollars out of thin air and then loan them out into the economy unless they have something in reserve so ultimately it all goes back to the Federal Reserve and I know a lot of that sounds complicated it's not as complicated as it sounds and as we go I'll, I'll do my best to explain it um you know in, in a real simple way but essentially this is an institution it was it, it's owned by the mega banks or the shareholders of the mega banks. it creates currency out of nothing. It loans it to the federal government, typically sometimes to the commercial banks, and then charges interest on that. So every person in America, every business, every financial decision is in some way impacted by the Federal Reserve System. It is one of the most important institutions in our country. And again, it is not even federal. It's a private cartel of mega banks and um, it will destroy our economy if we don't deal with it uh, and probably sometime very soon.
2: So can I just, um... So I just you want haven't got you to- your know, foil out yet. No, I, Did you just, leave it at
4: home? I'm covered
2: in foil, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of my, my, my hope. This is all made out of foil. Um You know, I just I want you I don't want you to feel rushed at all. I just want you to take your time um answering these. So we have time. I want you to go through it because I think you just laid out a mouthful here. Cause I'm wondering like, okay, who owns this thing is owned by mega banks? Would that be then presence of banks? They have this board and this board owns the Federal Reserve that sets people on these other thirteen Um, Reserve Banks Is that right? Regional Regional Director I'm just trying to make sure Sure, I understand Okay
4: yeah. So, so the Federal Reserve system is is basically made up of 12 regional Federal Reserve banks. Uh, the closest one to me is the one in Atlanta. That's the one I call it. When I first started learning about this, I was in college and I had read a book that said the Federal Reserve was private. I thought that can't possibly be. It's called federal. Right. It must be federal. It must have reserve. So I called up the uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and I said, look, I need to talk to a public spokesman or something. I need to talk to somebody there who can answer my questions. I finally got to a guy. I said, look, I'm reading that you guys are privately owned. Is that true? And who owns you if you're privately owned? He said, oh yeah, that's true. Uh, We are owned by our member banks. So that would be the member banks within that region. So Georgia, Florida, Alabama, uh, South Carolina, Uh, these are the states that are within that Federal Reserve Board's region and the banks within that region can then become members and owners of that Federal Reserve Bank. So they'll own shares in that regional Federal Reserve Bank. They'll earn dividends on those shares. In other words, they'll get payments based on the profit that that Federal Reserve Bank makes typically runs about 6% or so. And they control basically the policy decisions of these regional Federal Reserve banks. They even control the selection of officers and directors for these regional Federal Reserve banks. So you've got one in Atlanta, you've got one in Dallas, you've got one in San Francisco, uh, you've got one in um, well, there's one I think Kansas City, the the biggest and most important one, obviously is the one in New York. Yeah, Minneapolis has one, so they've divided the United States up into twelve regions. Each region has its regional Federal Reserve Board, uh a Re- regional Federal Reserve Bank, and each of these is owned by the banks in that area that have owned shares within that Federal Reserve Bank. So it's it, it's a I think needlessly complex system, and I think it's partly like when a scam artist is trying to get you to fall for the trick, like the guys that have the little things, they move them around and they've got a pea or a bean underneath one of them. Yeah. Um, they kind of to kind of distract you with what's going on. So I think that's one of the reasons they make it so complex. Um, and you see this not just in the ownership structure, but you see it across the board when they talk about quantitative easing, right? We've all heard about endless quantitative easing over the last 12 or 15 years or so. That's just a a very fancy and confusing way of saying we're printing money and we're robbing everybody who has dollars saved up either in their safe or in their savings account or checking account. So they like to try to make it sound complicated, but ultimately it's not that complicated. We've got 12 regional banks, each one owned by its member banks. And those owning banks are the ones that are making the decisions for the regional Federal Reserve. And then you've got, of course, the National Federal Reserve Board of Governors, Uh, where some of the Federal Reserve chiefs are on there forever. Some of them are appointed by the president. Some of them are the presidents of the regional Fed banks. And then they're making some of the policies and they've got different policy-making committees like the Federal Open Market Committee that gets together and decides what should inflation be. So they look into their magic crystal ball and they say, we think inflation should be 3%. In other words, we're going to steal 3% of the value of all of your dollars each year because we just think that's a good number. And then they adjust the (laughs) interest rate based on what they think inflation should be. So if they think inflation is running higher than their target, what they'll do is they'll raise interest rates. If they think it's too low, they will decrease interest rates. And that in turn results in more and more money flooding into the economy. If they've got interest rates down, they raise interest rates that sucks money out of the economy. So it's, they've made it needlessly complex, I think, in part, to try to get Americans not to think about this. And nobody wants to be the dumb guy to say, well, hey, you know, could you please clarify? Could you? I, I don't think I understand that. Could you please explain that in more depth? Nobody wants to be the one who sounds ignorant. But really what we're dealing with here, I think, in the truest sense, is a criminal scam. It is a fraud being perpetrated against Americans. And um, not only does it suck our savings and, and our wealth from us, um, it really serves as a wealth redistribution machine. It redistributes wealth from the poor, from the middle class, to the uber elites, to the mega banks, to the people who's who are friends with the directors of the regional federal reserve banks. So it, it's really the exact opposite of what the social justice warriors claim to want. They want wealth redistribution from the mega rich down to the, the poor and the middle class. What the Federal Reserve is doing is extracting wealth from the poor and middle class and redistributing it to the elites.
3: Alex, um, oh we,
1: we don't mind being idiots on our show. <laughs> we like to ask the dumb questions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I want to ask about. So why have you said it's it was it was created by an act of Congress? I think you said in 1913. Yeah um woodrow wilson what was the argument for creating it why why, i mean surely they didn't say what we need here is a private cartel (laughs) in order to launder money uh from the poor to give it to the rich elites so i mean (laughs) so what what was the argument that was made then or maybe is still being made laughing um about why this need to be created
4: yeah, that is an excellent question. There's an, there's a fascinating history behind the Federal Reserve. And the best book I've ever found that details this history, it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's written by a friend of mine who I've worked with very closely for many years now, G. Edward Griffin. Uh, and I've actually been to, to Jekyll Island several times to try to confirm a lot of this. So what happened was there was a secret meeting of some of the most powerful bankers and their politician buddies across the United States. They met on this island in Georgia, a beautiful island called Jekyll Island. Uh, it was, at that time, a privately owned island. Only You could only get on there if you had an invitation. And it was for basically super rich people to come and hang out with each other. And um, they met several years before the Federal Reserve Act was adopted. And they decided, hey, we really need a central bank in the United States. We didn't have a central bank. In fact, uh, Andrew Jackson had killed the previous iteration of central banks. And so we went through this long period of American history where we didn't have a central bank. And of course, it was an extraordinary period of prosperity. Um, wealth was widely diffused across the population. Entrepreneurship was not just possible, but it was highly encouraged. It was an incredible system. 1907 comes along and some of these mega bankers engineered what was called the 1907 panic. It was an enormous economic panic where um, the some of the banks, some of the smaller banks started collapsing. And of course, this was engineered again by the big mega banks people like JP Morgan, who then jumped in and posed as the saviors to the crisis that they had helped instigate. And then they used that as the pretext. They said, look, we, we can't have that kind of stuff happening anymore. You know, for all we know, next time there's going to be a real run on the banks and the whole system will collapse. We can't do that anymore. We've got to create a bank for the banks that'll be able to backstop this and make sure that the system is stable. So they met on Jekyll Island. They actually drafted the Federal Reserve Act. One of the attendees at this meeting was Senator Nelson Aldrich, who incidentally married into the Rockefeller clan. And uh, this meeting came up with this bill and it was introduced in Congress. Now, The first time they introduced it, it actually failed. But their argument in Congress, they actually tried to do it when everybody was gone. They did it over the Christmas break. But what they said to the congressmen who were still in town was, hey, guys, those evil bankers, they're way too powerful. Look, look how much power they have. Look how much control they have. We need to rein in the bankers. Uh, And so, I mean, you guys probably know some modern day examples of this. What they tell Congress and what they tell the American people they're doing is really the opposite of what they're doing. You know, today is uh, September 11th. We all remember the Patriot Act about the most unconstitutional, unpatriotic abomination we've ever seen in the Uh history of American legislation. So that's what they did. They said this Federal Reserve Act that was going to grant a monopoly over currency and credit to a private, unelected cartel of mega bankers was going to rein in the mega bankers. And a lot of members had already gone home. The ones who remained thought, well, we don't want another panic. I I guess we'll do this. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, as one of you just pointed out, uh, signed it. He apparently repented of this later on in his life. But um, And and to be clear, the Federal Reserve was not as bad back then as it is today. Uh, It has gotten progressively worse over the years. Uh, Back in 1913, when this act uh, came in, we still had the gold standard. In fact, we still had the gold standard for another 20 years. Now, the Federal Reserve engineered the Great Depression. They, they act like they just didn't know what they were doing. In fact, Ben Bernanke apologized for the Federal Reserve's role, but they want us to think that they're just stupid. They just don't know what they're doing, and, and you know it's all just a big accident. I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here and say there are a lot of things, but they're not stupid, okay? <laughs> I do not believe in stupidity theories. These people knew what they were doing. What they did was they flooded the economy with cheap currency, cheap credit. We all remember the roaring 20s, right? Business was booming. Everybody was starting to buy stocks. The stock prices were going through the roof. Businesses were borrowing money and expanding and building more factories and all the rest of it. it was a great time to be alive. Everybody was having fun. The economy was great. And then what happened after the roaring 20s? Well, the Great Depression. And so, Come 1933, FDR, using a totally illegal executive order, declares that private gold ownership is no longer allowed. That was the first nail in the coffin of uh, gold backing our U.S. dollar. It officially, they severed the link back in in, uh, 1971, about five decades later, four decades later. But um, that's the process, right? So the system has gotten progressively worse as time goes on. Uh, Just in recent years during the COVID thing, they added a whole new layer of craziness to this we can talk about later. They call it uh, uh, direct central banking where they wanna be able to pump currency that they're creating directly into businesses, directly into banks, directly into the accounts of taxpayers Totally bypassing the federal government, totally bypassing fiscal policy. But to answer your question, that's the story. They they lied to members of Congress. They told them that this was going to rein in the bankers when it, it did literally the exact opposite. It gave free reign to the bankers and gave them monopoly control over currency and credit in this country.
2: Okay. Uh let me process that. What cuz uh, okay. You go ahead and you want me let, to read let, my let ad? me finish cuz I'm writing down four questions here and I don't even know where to start I, it. I got think- questions too, yeah, but okay. I, I, All I, right.
3: I'm going to read my ad first. All Discover right. why more than a million people use the free Olive Tree Bible app as their go-to for reading, studying and listening to God's Word. Start by downloading one of many free Bibles and start taking notes today. You can highlight verses, you can bookmark your favorite passages, you can read at your own pace, or choose from a large selection of reading plans, including the Bible Reading Challenge that originated here In Moscow, Idaho, when you're ready to go deeper in your studies, Olive Tree is right there with a large selection of study Bibles, commentaries and other helpful study resources available for purchase. There's also an extensive bookstore that allows you to build your digital library one book at a time and Olive Tree's sync technology lets you pick up where you left off on your tablet, PC or phone and get right back to studying on another supported device. Here's the best part. You can start with the Olive Tree Essentials Bundle for free. The Olive Tree Essentials Bundle is completely free. Go to OliveTree.com slash FLF today and download it now. OliveTree.com slash FLF. You better
2: be reading your Bible. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. that's> what, <laughs> yeah. um, so, Alex, help, 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 help me here. How does, if this is a private entity and it's not federal, does it matter? And it has so much control over our government or should I say how we do business does it matter who's president? Or does a president have any effect at all on this entity?
4: It's a very good question. And the reality is, and, and Alan Greensman actually testified to this fact, under oath before a congressional committee, there is no agency or apparatus within the federal government that can oversee or overrule the Federal Reserve Bank. It is completely unaccountable. Now, they try to justify this. And if you tune into you know, CNBC or your standard establishment financial talking heads, what they'll tell you is, well, we want the Federal Reserve to be independent from politics. Because, you know, in theory, at least, the thinking is if a Republican is in office and election is coming up, they're going to want to juice the economy. So they'll reduce interest rates so that the economy looks good come election time. And then, you know, all the the House of Cards can come falling down after the election. So that's the argument that they give for having the Federal Reserve be completely independent is the term they use from the political process. Um, I think it's actually much more sinister than that. I mean, do we want politicians controlling our money? Probably not. But if we had a free market in money, if we had sound money where something of actual value that didn't require the threat of force to to have value was being used as a medium of exchange none of these things would be an issue, right? Uh, money would not be political at all. They wouldn't ma- The president couldn't reduce or increase interest rates depending on whether an election was coming up. But that's, that's what they tell people, that we want the Federal Reserve to be independent from the political process. Does it matter when there's a Republican or a Democrat? Not really, uh, for a number of reasons I say that. Now, Donald Trump was a little bit different than the previous ones. In fact, he tried to put a lady on the Federal Reserve Board who uh, had a history of, you know, what the establishment considers very inflammatory statements about the Federal Reserve. Of course, she was exactly right. Um, (laughs) uh, Very smart lady. And uh, in this case, the Senate actually ended up saying, no, uh, we're we're not going to let this lady on the Federal Reserve Board. So, yes, uh, every once in a while, there's a little bit of political influence over, at at least at the national level, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. But that influence is very limited. And, And I think I mentioned earlier, the way the presidents pick these people that they get to add to the Board of Governors, not all of them are added by the president. By the way, only some of them. But the way they do this, they get a list of candidates that are acceptable to the banking establishment. They choose one from that list of candidates. And so the bankers are telling the president, hey, you know, you could pick one of these three or four people and Uh we'll be fine. So that's how it works. And, you know, Republicans and Democrats set the rhetoric aside. For the most part, they agree on the key issues. So the short answer to this is it really doesn't make a big difference if there's a Republican or Democrat in office. Donald Trump tried to upset the apple cart in a rather minor ways just by putting one decent uh, person who understands some of this scam on the federal reserve board and he was shut down so uh, even in that case it didn't end up making a difference
2: so we don't have i mean with everything you're saying so we i mean i I can see this in other places but we really don't have a free market society then
4: we have the opposite of a free market society And, and people need to understand this money is the one system, the one institution that transcends every element of the economy, every business, every consumer, every nonprofit, every single entity and person in this country who interacts with the economy in any way is subjected to and affected by in a direct way by the activities of the Federal Reserve. You know, this isn't like a standard bureaucracy like the U.S. Department of Agriculture, doesn't typically affect you a lot unless you're a farmer or you're somehow involved in agriculture. Right? That's totally different with the Federal Reserve. And in a market economy, see, we had a market economy for for a pretty significant chunk of our history. Uh, in a market economy, interest rates are set by the market. So, uh, you know, without getting into the difficult details of supply and demand, in a free market, you would have interest rates set by supply and demand. Interest is essentially a price. It's the price of money. So, The supply would be the amount of loanable funds that are available for loaning into the economy. How much money do people have in their savings that they're willing to loan out at any particular price? In other words, at any given interest rate. The law of supply states that at a higher price, suppliers will supply more units at a lower price. Suppliers will supply less units. So if interest rates are higher, more people will be willing to save money and lend money into the economy than if interest rates are lower, if the price of money is lower. The other function here is the demand curve. How much money do people want to borrow at any particular price? And so in a standard supply and demand graph, those two will intersect at a particular place where they intersect. You're going to draw the line over to the the vertical axis. That's going to be your interest rate. And again, this is in a a free market economy. So what happens then hypothetically? Here's your, your interest rate thing. If supply were to shift over like that, what you'd end up with is a higher price of interest. So if your interest rate was 3%, Let's say that the supply of savings radically increases for whatever reason, your interest rates then will go down. If your demand for loanable funds increases, what's going to happen? Your interest rates will go up. So that's how it would work in a free market economy. Now, interest rates affect every single area of the economy. When interest rates are high, businesses are less likely to take out loans. They're less likely to build a new factory, hire more people, do more research and development. When interest rates are low, they're much more likely to engage in these types of long-term projects. So interest rates set by the market play an absolutely critical role in the allocation of capital. In a free market, it's allocated well. That's not to say that every project that gets capital is going to necessarily succeed, Right. But everybody understands the risks and it works very well. When you have this kind of manipulation where the Federal Reserve comes in, let's just say, hypothetically, interest rates, if we had a free market, would be 3%. Let's say the Federal Reserve doesn't like 3%. They think interest rates ought to be 0.5% because, hey, we got an election coming up. We want Joe Biden reelected. We want the economy to look good. Mm. What that does is it sends a false signal to every actor in the economy, Mm. every couple thinking about buying a home. Oh, interest rates are only 0.5%. Hey, let's buy a half a million dollar house. Yeah, we can't afford it, but interest rates are so low every company says, oh man, half a percent. We, we could invest a billion dollars in research and hopefully they'll come up with something good and we'll make that billion back and we'll pay it off and the interest is so low. Well, what happens? That was a false signal that was not justified by the market fundamentals. So what happens? Massive, massive misallocation of capital, all sorts of money Mm -hmm. gets invested into places it shouldn't have been invested. That eventually blows up and welcome to the boom and bust cycle, right? And we have seen this ever since we got the Federal Reserve Bank. We see boom because the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates too low. Then we see a bust when the Federal Reserve has to increase interest rates. And it's just a nonstop pumping of wealth From average everyday Americans, especially the poor and the middle class, to the elites who understand this process and who are benefiting from it all along. And, of course, the federal government, right? Instead of having to tax us every time they want to spend outrageous amounts of money, they just issue a bunch of bonds through the Treasury. Congress appropriates the money. Federal Reserve monetizes that debt. They print the money out of thin air. They loan it to the government. And so then the federal government can fight 10 wars and. Roll out a bunch of injections and kill a bunch of babies, mm. and wage a propaganda campaign, and we don't even have to tax the people, at least not into the future, uh, to do that. So it's, it's so far from a free market economy that y- you can't call what we have a free market anymore. And one more horrible element of this is that they take these distortions and these booms and busts, these these horrible things that they do to our economy, and then they blame capitalism. They blame the free market. So you get people like uh, Pocahontas, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, saying it's it's the greedy gas station owners and the greedy grocery store uh, shopkeepers that are causing increasing prices. Absolute baloney. That's exactly what Hugo Chavez said in Venezuela before the whole thing collapsed into dust. So um, th- there's just so many things wrong with this at so many levels, but long or short answer, no, it's not a free market economy. It is not even close. So
3: America, what's wrong
1: <laughs> with you people? You just
4: wind Alex up and he just goes.
1: <laughs> he just yeah. yeah, he does. Um, yeah,
4: th- this is my thing, guys. So you, you yeah. gotta yeah, go on no, here. The Federal going. Reserve now, is my thing. Now I have heard
1: recently an argument that's interesting to me. We had a friend Jim Hunter on um yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple weeks ago. And and he mentioned that. In a, in a in a weird set of circumstances that the federal reserve is kind of fighting globalism and yeah. wef um they're you know it's like you're 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 the enemy of your enemies your friend or something like that kind of thing and he said cuz the federal reserve recognized that wef would like to actually obliterate get rid of the federal reserve um what are your kind of thoughts on kind of the the global nature and, of the Federal Reserve. And just to
2: do his position, fairness, um, he actually doesn't like the Federal Reserve. Yeah, either. He, yeah he, wasn't, totally he wasn't. He's totally to it. the Federal Reserve. Right. He's right. just
1: saying, like, this is just kind of the, the dynamic like, going but on. But right, right now,
2: now, the Federal Reserve seems to be one of the only big monsters that is willing to fight against globalism because it knows it wants to get eat. It knows that it, globalism wants to eat it up.
4: Yeah, that's an interesting view. I, I would argue that the Federal Reserve has facilitated globalism more than probably any institution on the planet with the possible exception of the United Nations and the U.S. State Department. Uh, And that may sound inflammatory, but it is the Federal Reserve that has made possible, that has funded the government spending, the government programs that have laid the foundation for globalism. Now, what they're doing here, and and we saw the very same process occur in the European Union when they moved toward the euro, right? They're not going to tell the the wonks working at the Federal Reserve, hey, you're going to be unemployed if we move to a one world currency. They're not going to do that, partly because they know that would then create an incentive for the Federal Reserve, which is a very powerful institution, to resist this process. So what they're going to do is essentially the same thing that they did in Europe, when they rolled out the euro. And I was living in Europe when this happened. All of the countries that use the euro today as a currency, they still have their central bank, right? Uh, the Germans still have their German central bank. The Greeks still have the central bank of Greece. All of these nations retain this institution called the central bank. But what they've done is they've now pooled their power together into this, what they call the European central bank. And so the process that's happening right now, and I've actually followed this probably more closely than anybody in the world, at least who's been reporting on it publicly. I don't know of anybody else who's done as much work on this as I have. Uh, They're paving the way to create a one-world currency system. But they're not going to, say, abolish the Federal Reserve. They they need these people on board. And so what they're doing, uh, and, and the system's already in place, by the way. All that needs to happen is the formal announcement and expansion of what's already happening. But the International Monetary Fund is a very interesting institution, and it creates something called special drawing rights. It's a very obscure term. Very few people on the planet have ever even heard of this term, much less understand it. But the best way to understand it, in my view, is to think of it as a proto-global currency. I mean, in one sense, it already is a global currency. Just like the Federal Reserve creates U.S. dollars out of thin air, the IMF creates special drawing rights out of thin air. But while the Federal Reserve creates dollars that are backed by the basically the the firepower of the US government, if you will, right? If you won't use the Federal Reserves to pay your taxes, the Federal Reserve notes to pay your taxes, they'll come and send you to jail. If you won't accept Federal Reserve notes in your business, they'll come and they'll take you to jail. So it's really the the coercive force of the federal government that gives value to the Federal Reserve notes. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different at the IMF, the special drawing rights that they create. Uh, And just in the last few years during COVID, they created $600 billion worth of these so-called special drawing rights. They're actually based on a basket of currencies so when when they create a special drawing right or say 100 billion dollars worth of special drawing rights these are basically a, a unit of global currency but it's its value is based not on the imf having guns and pointing them at people its value is based on a basket of currencies including the federal reserve note including the british Bye. pound including the euro the japanese yen the chinese yuan and now uh, the russian ruble Make i believe them be police Precisely. And so then the Fed, there's still a space for the Federal Reserve. There, there's no reason for the people who work at the Federal Reserve to resist this because they're going to keep their cushy jobs. They're going to keep their outrageous six, six-figure salaries. They're going to keep their power and their prestige. All that's going to change is they're going to have to kind of share some of the responsibilities and functions with international institutions. At the same time that the IMF is working on the global currency front – the uh, Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, is working on building the global move toward central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. Uh, they're actually coordinating the process among virtually every central bank in the world as we move toward this global interoperable system of central bank digital currencies. So both of these things are happening now. This isn't something that's you know way out in the hypothetical future. You're just not hearing about them yet because the American people could still stop this. If they understood it and if they put their foot down. Well,
3: how, uh, I want to get to that. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so I, I guess I want to ask that question. So how could the American people stop that? And why is it? Or, and is it just them?
4: Uh, the American people can stop this very, very easily. In fact, we could stop a lot of this tomorrow. Uh, Congress could pass a bill that says we hereby abolish the Federal Reserve. We are hereby repealing the Federal Reserve Act. The Federal Reserve is hereby abolished. All of its assets will be handed over to the Treasury immediately. Any fraudulent debts that the U.S. Treasury or really the American people allegedly owe to the Federal Reserve are hereby wiped clean. They don't exist anymore. This was a scam from the beginning. Uh, Next, we're going to investigate the criminals who were running this scam. It would be very, very easy to stop this in its tracks and go back toward an honest system of money. Um, In fact, just recently I did a, a major article for the Epic Times, I interviewed a few members of Congress who have a, a very good bill. It doesn't abolish the Federal Reserve, unfortunately, but it does repeg the U.S. dollar to gold. That in and of itself would be a major, major blow to this agenda. So I interviewed uh, Representative Alex Mooney of West Virginia. He's the key sponsor behind this bill. And just that alone would have a devastating impact, first of all, on the efforts to destroy our currency. And second of all, on this effort to bring in a global currency system, a global monetary system, as they finish off killing the dollar. Uh, but make no mistake, they are going to kill the dollar if we don't stop them. And that will lead almost inevitably to an expansion of this global system. And you ask, can anybody else do this, right? Is it only the American people? I don't believe there is any other nation that retains the power that the United States retains to be able to stop this in its tracks. If China and Russia and maybe some of the others hypothetically wanted to stop it, they probably could. But the chances of that are virtually zero. They are fully on board with this. In fact, in 2009, the the head of the People's Bank of China, that's the Communist Chinese Central Bank, actually put out an incredible report. I mean, this was... Earth-shatteringly huge. Almost none of the media touched it for obvious reasons. But what he said was, we propose a new international monetary system that is not based anymore on national currencies. Obviously, he was referring specifically to the U.S. dollar, which is currently the global reserve currency. He said, what we need is a global currency system run by the International Monetary Fund that is disconnected from individual nations. Now, here's the even more incredible part. That was incredible enough. That should have been front page news on every newspaper on the planet. Well, a few months after that report was released, they asked U.S. Treasury Secretary Timothy TurboTax Geithner. uh, I call him Timothy TurboTax Geithner because he didn't pay his taxes and he blamed TurboTax. Um, I don't encourage people to try that themselves because what you'll find out very quickly is we've got a two-tiered standard of justice here. The IRS won't take that. But anyways, they asked Timothy TurboTax-Geithner at a Council on Foreign Relations meeting what he thought about this proposal from the Communist Chinese to move toward a one-world global monetary system run by the IMF. And... Almost incredibly. I mean, my jaw was on the floor when I heard this and I knew this already, but I couldn't believe he said it in public. He said, yeah, as I understand the governor's proposal, that's to, to make the uh, special drawing rights a, a more significant part of the international monetary system. Uh, we're actually quite open to that. What? Hmm. Right? I mean, I don't think people understand. Your, your average American has no clue what will happen to American standard of living and to the U.S. economy when the U.S. dollar loses its status as the global reserve currency. It will be a financial earthquake unlike anything this country has ever seen. It'll make the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. Um, And it's coming, folks. At this point, unless something dramatic and major changes, it's a matter of when, not if. And to hear the top economic official in our government outside of the Federal Reserve say that we're open to this communist Chinese idea of a one world global currency issued by the IMF. uh, It's simply astounding. And yet not one major newspaper put it on the front page. None of the networks made it into an issue. Um, Truly amazing. But that's where we're at, folks. The Chinese, the Russians, the Biden administration, they are all on board with this. They just have to do it gradually because, again, the American people could stop it tomorrow tomorrow if we understood what was going on and we put our foot down.
3: So what are you going to say some pastor? I'm sorry. Yeah. i was yeah, about to end up, yeah, pastor. And I didn't see. Yeah. That. No, I wanted to ask. Um, so I, I, I'm familiar with the, the language of a sort of fiat currency and, and, and the way that that, um, uh, creates inflation. It makes the dollars that I have worth less because there are more and they don't correspond to actual uh, goods and services that are, ac- I've actually produced goods and services. Um, but my understanding is also there is a, um, I mean, and I think this is maybe a, a, um, what you're alluding to at different levels. I know you've got this sort of global thing that they're doing slowly. I know that the federal, it seems like the Federal Reserve them is is they've got to go slowly because if, if they just printed whatever they wanted to print, we would already be in a Great Depression. Um, so they're they they're, they have to um, they have some kind of formula um, that they've got to work with where they think. Um, we think we can print this much um, amount of money, and I know it's probably tied to how much they can line their pockets with. But, um, but also, um, it, it has something to do with act- the actual growth of our economy. Like they, they at least they give lip service to that. Um, it, it aren't I, I, um, despite the fact that they've left, we've left the gold standard and and the silver standard after that, and and, and everything else. Isn't there still something about the actual work that's being done in the country, the actual um, the actual economy itself, that is uh, at least some kind of guardrail to how much money they can print and how, what they can get away with? You're hitting it right in my question, Pastor.
4: Excellent question, Pastor. And the short answer is no. Now, uh, Milton Friedman, <laughs> the, the, the great economist from the University of Chicago. Um, you know, he actually proposed exactly what you're describing now. He proposed taking away these powers from the Federal Reserve Bank. He didn't propose abolishing it. So I disagree with him there. Yeah. But what he said is we just need a very simple formula where the amount of currency that the Federal Reserve is creating is going to be exactly lined up with the growth in GDP. So if GDP hypothetically grows 2% in 1 year, then the Federal Reserve is hereby authorized and ordered to expand the currency supply by 2%. That would help keep prices perfectly stable. That was his vision. Unfortunately, that's not what we have today. Now, one of the mandates to the Federal Reserve in statute is that it maintain um price stability. Of course, anybody can look at the chart. You can use the government's own data to show that they've done The worst possible job imaginable, right? Your U.S. dollar today is worth a tiny fraction of the value of a dollar back in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was created. In fact, it's lost over 98 percent of its value to give you some perspective. So if anybody thinks that's price stability, uh, you have no idea what you're talking about. But here's the bigger point to, to address what you're asking, Pastor. Now, the Federal Reserve, I I mentioned it was a scam on multiple levels. There's the obvious scam where as they create more money, that takes value away from the money that we all have. So let's just do a real simple example here. Let's say there's $1 circulating in the U.S. economy. The Federal Reserve created that $1. That $1 represents all the goods and services produced in the economy. Now, if the Federal Reserve creates another dollar, if they create $2, the value of that $1 that already existed is suddenly cut in half it's 50% of what it was before now instead of buying the whole economy for $1 now it's going to take you $2 to buy the whole economy so that $1 that you had originally will only buy you 50% of the economy so what they just did there was they stole half of our money okay and that's bad enough right that's the first that that is inflation In the truest possible sense today they want people to think inflation is this mysterious process that nobody quite understands where prices just rise absolute baloney in fact inflation had always been understood to be an inflation of the money supply when the federal reserve is creating new money that is the definition or at least it was the definition of inflation today they've redefined inflation to mean an increase in prices well an increase in prices is a direct result of the increase in the money supply. So it's a consequence of actual inflation, not inflation itself. But here's where the part two of the scam comes in. And this is something that very few people understand, but it's not that complicated. And it's something that I believe everybody should understand. When the Federal Reserve creates that $1 that we talked about, they don't spend that dollar into circulation. They loan that dollar into circulation. Until very recently, really the only significant way to introduce money into the economy that the Federal Reserve had was to loan it to the government. And so they do that by buying U.S. Treasury bonds. A U.S. Treasury bond is just like an IOU. The Treasury says, uh, you know, this Treasury bond worth a billion dollars. If you buy it for a billion, we'll pay you back for, you know, 1.5 billion or 1.05 billion 10 years down the line, depending on what the interest rate is. So what the Federal Reserve is doing here, they create that dollar and then they loan it out Into the economy. Again, primarily by buying Federal by buying Treasury bonds, Treasury securities. So let's say the Treasury sells a bond to the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve printed that dollar out of nothing. The Treasury printed that Treasury bond out of nothing and they swapped it. So now the Treasury's (laughs) got a dollar. The the central bank has a one dollar bond that the Treasury has to eventually pay back plus interest. Well, what happens now? The Treasury spends that dollar into circulation. They hire some soldiers, they pay for some abortions, they pay for some propaganda, uh, they pay for a bunch of bureaucracies. And so that dollar gets spent into the economy, goes through the economy. You know, people use it to they put it in the bank, the bank loans it out, people build a house, you know, it circulates through the economy. Then the federal government comes along and taxes that money back out of the economy. So now the Treasury owes the Federal Reserve a dollar plus interest. Let's just say hypothetically interest is a nickel. So let's say now the bond comes due, the Treasury has to pay the Federal Reserve $1.05. Well, there's only one place to get dollars. And that's the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has only created $1. Oh, man. What do we do now? Let's oh. say the, the Treasury says, all right, let's tax every bit of money that everybody has, and then we'll pay the Federal Reserve back so that we can extinguish that bond. Well, what happens? There's now no money left in the economy. So the economy has just been sucked into a black hole. Nobody can pay their mortgages. Nobody can pay anything. And we still owe them money. We still owe them a nickel. And that nickel doesn't exist because we already gave all the money back to the Federal Reserve. So, what do we do now? Well, excuse us, Federal Reserve, um, we're going to be printing some more treasury bonds here. Would you be kind enough to print some more dollars and loan those to us so we can pay you back the interest that we owe you? And it's a vicious cycle. So, people ask why do they keep printing more and more and more and more and more and more money? Well, that's the simple answer. As soon as they stop printing money, the musical chairs stop. There's not enough money in the economy to pay back all the debt that was created, and we're all doomed.
3: Okay, pass. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I, I just I want to want to push just a little bit because I see that whole thing, and and yeah, you're right. There, that's insane. That's crazy. That's wicked. All, all the rest. But meanwhile, there's a whole bunch of people that are working and making stuff right. in the economy. Um, you know, our, our friend David Reese is building body armor and, right, and we right. got holsters nice. being produced. I'm and, making and, people, and, and, not and, anymore.
2: The last three years I haven't,
3: but But like, you know, people are building stuff, making stuff and putting real value into the economy at the same time. So there's it's that's a, what you described there, I get, but that also makes it sound like it's a closed system. Whereas um, if I'm making stuff and building stuff and actually adding value to my local economy, I'm actually I'm actually adding to that um, overall um,
4: picture. You're, You're creating value, Pastor. You're creating wealth. But all of that wealth is represented by the dollar that the that the Treasury now has to pay back to the Federal Reserve. So you're absolutely right. And that's the scam. Right. They're taking things that we are producing. With our labor, with our sweat, with our ingenuity, with our adding value through trade, they're taking all that wealth, all that value that we are creating. They're forcing us to use this scam of a currency and they're sucking it all away from us. Now, there probably won't come a time where the Treasury will tax every dollar in the economy out of the economy and send it over to the Federal Reserve because, again, that would be the total and complete collapse of the economy. Everything would grind to a halt. I couldn't pay my employees, I couldn't pay my mortgage. Literally, the entire system would collapse in on itself, and you would have some of the most violent anarchy that we have ever seen in this country, literally overnight. But enough about Venezuela. Um, it, <laughs> right. It, it would be, I mean, it would be as bad as you could possibly imagine. Right. Now, there's one more a- additional factor that complicates this even more, and and I'll lay it out here just rather quickly, and if you guys want to dig deeper, we can. The commercial banks are actually the ones who create most of the money in the economy, or who create most of the currency in the economy. And they do this through a process called fractional reserve banking. Right. So what happens is the Federal Reserve, let's go back to the previous example. The Federal Reserve creates a dollar, loans it to the federal government. The federal government takes that dollar and they spend it. Okay. So as they're spending it, that money is ending up in people's bank accounts. Right. So they're paying uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Let's say they pay him two cents. He takes that two cents and he puts it in, he spends part of it on his groceries, on his mortgage. He puts a cent in the bank. Well, what happens with that cent that's in the bank? The bank says, oh, we have a cent on deposit here. We should loan out some money so that we can then charge interest on the money we're loaning out. And so what ends up happening here, depending on the Federal Reserve sets what's called the reserve requirement ratio. This is the amount of money that a commercial bank must have in reserve to be able to lend out more money. So let's say that the Federal Reserve, it typically ranges from about 5% to about 20%. So if you have a dollar loaned out, you need to have somewhere between five and 20 cents in reserve in case people come back to get their deposits right, and withdraw right. them from your bank. Got it. So let's say now this uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, he's got a penny on deposit at the bank. The bank is allowed to loan out, let's just say 90% of that. Let's say the Federal Reserve has said the reserve requirement ratio is 10%. So that bank loans out nine-tenths of a cent to person X. Let's say person X comes in, they want a mortgage, they want to buy a house, whatever. So they borrow that 0.9 cents Then they give that money to somebody, maybe a home builder. The home builder goes and then deposits it right back at that same bank. So that 0.9 cents is now right back at that bank. Now that commercial bank says, oh, we now have 0.9 cents that we can lend out. How should we lend it out? The reserve requirement's 10% so they can loan out 90% of that. And so what's happening here is this commercial bank is creating more and more and more currency that's now floating around in the economy. But again, we have the exact same problem that we had with the Federal Reserve and the Treasury at the beginning. The money doesn't actually exist to cover that all. So if everybody decided to pull their deposits out of the bank and people paid back their loans, there would be no money left in the system. So the commercial banks are creating most of the currency but it's literally the same exact problem that we had when it was just the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. There's not enough money in circulation to pay back all those loans and that interest. And so that's where you get runs on the bank from. Right? Banks only have a right. fraction sure. of the deposits on hand because the Federal Reserve has set the reserve requirement ratio at somewhere between 5 and 20%. That's why they had to create the FDIC mm-hmm. so that people wouldn't panic and say, "Oh my goodness, what if the bank doesn't have my money? I better go withdraw my deposit." So they pile a scam on top of a scam on top of a scam. And then we end up where we are today in an economy that is on the verge of destruction that is making life increasingly difficult. And and, I mean, it's very easy to see this. Right. Talk to somebody who lived in the 1950s. Maybe they worked at Ford. Maybe they, they worked on an assembly line at Ford and yet they could afford their mortgage. Their wife could stay home and take care of the kids. They could put the kids through college. They had a car in the driveway. They paid off their mortgage after 20 years. How did they do that on one salary from one guy working in a factory, whereas today you have both parents working two jobs and they still can't make ends meet? What's happening is they're stealing more and more and more of our wealth. And again, it's a scam piled on top of a scam piled on top of a scam. And and I just want to leave leave it at this here on this subject of fractional reserve banking. Nobody should believe me just because you hear me saying this. Go look up everything that I'm telling you learn how the system works, and find out if I'm not telling you the truth. I like that you say that.
2: And one thing I really appreciate about appreciate about you is that you're always willing to bring receipts. So what's your email address so people can ask you for all the details?
4: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to share it. And, yeah. and actually, I, like I said, I taught economics for 12 years, uh, high school seniors. I taught advanced economics, um, really college-level courses. And, and actually, I had to teach the kids the fake economics and the real economics so that they could pass all their college tests and everything. But uh, if people go to my website, sentinel.org, they can send me a note that way. Yeah. And I'll be more than happy to send you anything that you need, including wow. the reports I've mentioned, including the PowerPoints that I used um, for, for my students for all those years. More than happy to share.
1: Okay, I got I got a, a finish
3: question. question. I do. got more
4: questions, I, too. I am
3: upset, and I'm going to leave now.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you said you weren't. Hey, at least it wasn't going to be because of what yeah, I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh,
2: we got to run, but do you have like maybe – Ten more minutes, we can talk some more after some the show. Stuff. Some backstage yes. stuff. Absolutely, okay, yeah. I I would love Cause to cause do I'd that.
4: like to talk
1: Trump and DeSantis. Who's going to fight? Talk the Federal Reserve. Too. I also want to talk
2: about like, man, if this, if you say that we need to abolish the Federal Reserve, Alex, is there atrophy in our economy that? Would stop us not being able to uh, function since we've been flowing this yeah. way
3: for so long. Yeah, I mean if you, if we play, if we just like pull it out, musical chairs, and, we, yeah. and then we and then we say that's it, it's over. The music's over. The music's done. Yeah. And that's not up, a reason who, to not engage. Who, who but, ends up falling down? Yeah, who's up? Yeah. Somebody's
2: going to. And and depending on how we're set up now and who's in power, the way this is set up, we might not want this structure. When it all comes yeah, down, because we've seen how to go. Okay, yeah. Alex, right. you stay right there. We're going to talk to you soon. You get more. all the answers. I'm going to get all the answers. And then I'll,
3: I'll report back. And, and, we're gonna, we're and gonna, Alex, I'm sorry I've got a jet, but we really appreciate you, brother. And we're going so to ask Alex to tell brother. us who the
2: president needs to be for this next turn, too, as
3: and well. is so, Michelle Obama a man?
2: <laughs> oh. I know then, Alex knows the answer. Tony couldn't <laughs> finish the sentence. <laughs> I had to finish it for him. If you single, get married. that have kids. Go baptize them until tomorrow. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross-politic. You know what you know. <laughs> hey,
3: th- thanks for finishing that
2: sentence any, any, I, I, I didn't really want to finish that sentence. Any other juicy, like, I want to know.
0: I'm David Reese, Chief Executive Officer of Armored Republic. We've been around for over a decade, serving you now, trying to provide tools of liberty to free men to be able to resist tyrants and criminals to the honor of Christ and we've created a lot of content to help you to understand products, to help you understand how bullets get stopped, and you've seen a lot of cool things. We've decided it's time to share some of what we have internally. A lot of people ask us what it is that we're about, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and the name captures what we're trying to accomplish. Armored Republic is the idea that we want to see our republic Armor. We want it to be hardened. We want it to be defensible. We want it to guard, watch, keep, preserve, maintain the things that have been attained to. And so, guarding that is a part of this armoring. We believe that if we can provide armor to you, if we can equip you, if we can give you knowledge, if we can help you to resist the nonsense that's dominant in the spirit of the age, that if you have all of that, we've equipped you with tools of liberty tools of liberty includes intellectual ammunition it includes the skill to be able to resist it includes body armor itself plate carriers belts i-facs to be able to heal up stitch up to be able to stop the bleed All right these are the things that we're trying to get to you now as we think about that a part of what's happened is there's 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 sort of this this The sense in which there's a feeling of the tearing of the fabric of society. And so people don't know what it is that they should be doing. They don't know what to do, what to guard, where where to gather. We want to encourage you to be able to gather free men who know what liberty is, who know that liberty is not a license to do wickedness, but it is the power to do righteousness in the face of of tyrants and criminals. It is the ability to say no, and it's the ability to say yes to the right things. It's the ability to build. You need sword and trowel. You have to be able to put things together. So what we're trying to do now is trying to communicate more and more what it is to armor the Republic. And in addition to that, what is a Republic that we're guarding and trying to build? Republic's not just another word for democracy, which is the rule of the people. The rule of the people is is, is two wolves and a sheep voting who's for dinner. If you, if you have a pure democracy, all you're gonna do is vote on who to kill, and you're gonna vote on whose wallet to pick. That's not what America is about. America is a republic if we can keep it. The Constitution attempts to capture the God-given rights that we receive as a heritage. It recognizes them. It does not give them. It does not grant them, but it rather establishes a clear public recognition of the rights that we have what we are trying to do is to help to educate and strengthen and unite a movement to see that liberty does not perish from the land this is armored republic and in a republic there is
4: no king but christ